and who is still suffering. That's the whole objective of it all, is to be outwardly focused. Because it's by that outward focus, by giving it away, that I've learned to keep it. And I've got it in spades. And you the same way. Stan said to me that, um, what was that Chinese proverb? Uh, if, if I read something, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. And so you had the experience of doing that this morning. And in terms of the service structure, recovery is enhanced by putting in the third leg of the triangle. The service structure has been developed in response to the alcoholic personality. Somebody gave me a copy of a thing called the 12 Steps Before I Came to AA. Listen to them. Number one, alcohol gave me unlimited power. It helped me manage my life. Number two, I came to believe there was no power greater than myself and sanity was my middle name. Number three, I turned nothing over to no one. Number four, I made a fearless and moral inventory of everyone I knew. Number five, admitted nothing to nobody. Why the hell should I? Number six, had no character defects, just a few little quirks that were part of my charm. Humbly ask God, please, please, don't let the liquor store close before I get there. Number eight, made a list of all persons who had harmed me and decided to get them back. Number nine, got them real good. (laughs) Often by drinking to get even. Ten, continued to take everyone's inventory and when they were wrong, promptly let them know about it. Number eleven, had conscious contact with God every morning at 4 a.m. and promised him I would never drink again. Number 12, having become spiritually bankrupt, physically debilitated, and emotionally drained as a result of these steps, I walked into my first AA meeting in February 1990. The torture ended, and my life has never been the same since. So that essentially is what this has been all about. You know, the message that we're talking about carrying is the message that this drunk stockbroker analyst brought out to Dr. Bob in Akron, Ohio, more than 50 years ago. All of you have had that incredible experience. I want you to just trust me enough to do something. If you just put your feet on the floor and close your eyes for a minute and just put your coffee cups down or whatever. And just stay with me now for about 90 seconds to two minutes. And if you close your eyes and just take a deep breath and then just focus on the breath as you're there. Just feel that breath coming and going out of your nostrils. You can hear the noise of people coming into the room. That's fine. You don't have to to filter that out. 
just be aware of all those things. But just sit there with your hands on your thighs or next to you, your feet on the floor, eyes closed, and just feel the breath coming in out of your nostrils. And then just stay with me as I take it through a little process. Just take a deep breath again, everybody. Breathe deeply. Let it all out. Feel your body relaxing. Speak to your feet and say, toes, relax. To your shins. Shins, relax. Thighs, relax. Pelvic area, relax. Stomach, chest. Fingers, relax. Forearms. Just all relax. Breathe deeply. Focus on your breathing. Just feel the breathing coming and going from your nostrils. Hear the sounds. Hear my voice. Hear the silence. And come back to that breathing. Hear the footsteps of people coming into the room. Allow that to be. Drop your shoulders and relax. And your neck, your forehead, your mouth, your scalp. Just be at peace and relax. Focus on the breathing. Just feel the breathing coming and going. Now what I'd like you to do is remember your last drink. Remember how you looked, what you were wearing, what did it feel like? What kind of state were you in? Were you by yourself with a group? Were you alone? Were you lonely? Were you in pain? Were you hungover? your last drink, what was the drink that made you stop? What made you think about stopping? What were those feelings? See it vividly in your mind. Feel it vividly in your heart. just come back into the room and open your eyes and look around you. See where you are. See the people next to you. Hear my voice. Now the reality of the situation for me anyway is that 
there was no way to get from where I was to here. So that's the power that we have to share with the world. Now, what happens in the conference or in our groups or whatever, we get mixed up with, you know, ordering the coffee or who didn't order the coffee or whatever, or it's a cross-addicted situation or it's a situation about medallions or it's a situation about uh, conference literature or whatever it happens to be that kind of gets our woofers and tweeters out of whack. And that's just life. And it's two steps forward and one step backwards. But the fact is we do have a structure to offer to the world. We do have a structure to take people from where you were a few minutes ago to where you are today. Now the power of that structure, that triangle of unity, recovery, unity, and service, each of those supported by steps traditions, and concepts in action is an unbelievable spiritual force. It is the unbelievable spiritual force that you experienced in getting from that drunk that you were and that last drink into this room. And every time you connect with that, that's what we have to offer. So the real issue is how do we take that from here and bring it back to the groups And how do we bring it back from the groups into the area assemblies, into the service structure? Because that's what this is all about. It can't stop here. It's been great to be here. But it has to continue on. A spiritual writer, a Jesuit by the name of Anthony DeMello, wrote this particular parable, story, about this wonderful man who brought the gift of fire to the tribes with which he was associated. He brought fire to them. And they were very delighted to have fire. It changed their whole life. Like the fire of recovery changed our life. But then he moved on to another tribe to bring the gift of fire to the next tribe. And the tribe that had gotten the gift forgot to thank him, but because he was such a good guy, he didn't mind. He just moved on. The next tribe he came to the, the, the priests and, the, and the, the chiefs of the tribe and, uh, were very jealous of him. And they thought if he gives these people a gift of fire, what will happen is we're going to lose our power. So they killed him. They killed him. And in order to throw the tribe off, pinning them as the guilty parties for killing him, they had his autobiography written. His biography written, I should say. They had the implements of fire enshrined in a church in a big building. They just picture displayed all over the place. They became the official interpreters of this biography of this wonderful man who they had killed. And anybody who varied from them in their interpretation of steps, concepts, traditions, all those things, were immediately tossed out of the tribe. And the people who came in who venerated the implements of fire, they were pronounced saved and they were pronounced healed of all their wounds. And the interpretation went on and on and on and the ritual increased and increased and increased. And the sad thing about all of that is that involved as they were with all these rituals and with all these traditions and with all these carrying the message of the scribes and the priests and the chiefs and their interpretation and being afraid to be tossed out, the people forgot all about the fire. 
What our charge here is, is never to forget about the fire. To keep that fire moving, to keep the promise of recovery open to every alcoholic that wants it in the world. You can't be tossed out. You get all those freedoms, all those rights, all those abilities to make mistakes. Not everything that's said here was said here this this few days was right. But who cares? Who cares? We got most of it right. We got together. We got a feeling. We got power. We got a better understanding. In the early days of AA, Bill and the the people who and this is in uh, uh, this particular uh, selection is in the uh, language of the heart. If you want to read it, Bill goes on to say that um, we found that the kinship of having suffered severe alcoholism was often not in itself enough. To cross all barriers, our channels of communication had to be broadened and deepened. Remember now, these are the guys who really were on the doorsteps, the, the down and outers. Bill made that comment in reference to what he calls the, quote, last gasp cases, who were the early members. The discussion goes on. Now, this is a quote. For years, we old-timers couldn't communicate with folks like these, the high bottoms. Somehow, our transmission lines to them had to be increased in numbers and in power. Otherwise, we'd never get through. Out of much experience, a method was developed. Slowly but surely, the strategy commenced to pay off. With the aid and authority of medical science, and by better presentations, the low bottoms had begun to communicate at depth with the high bottoms. But the tedious process and its sparse results didn't have to go on forever. We joyfully discovered that the moment any AA locality was possessed of even a small group of high-bottom drunks, then progress into this class of topper became progressively faster and easier. Today we know why. One high-bottom can talk to another high-bottom as nobody else ever could. So this segment of our fellowship grew and grew. And it's probable today, this is back in 1959, and I'm sure it's changed dramatically now. And it's probable that one half of today's AA membership have been spared that last 5, 10, or even 15 years of unmitigated hell. I came in when I was 32. I've been spared a lot of hell. That we, low bottoms, knew only too well. The need to find a way to communicate with the cross-addicted to communicate with the homeless, to communicate with the bipolar, all of whom have an alcohol problem. I'm not saying that we don't have a singular purpose. I absolutely, I know we have to hang on to that. But we've got to reach out to everybody. And it's hard to understand sometimes. And it's hard to get through sometimes. Because they don't understand that they're primarily alcoholics sometimes. You know, I know a guy came in this room, he thought he hated spaghetti. We thought he loved spaghetti. That's right. Well, he thought he loved spaghetti. He used to always go to these Italian restaurants when he was drinking. Well, he was sober for a year and a half. He realized he hated spaghetti. He only went to the Italian restaurants for the Chianti. There are people who come in here, they don't know they're alcoholics. I didn't know I was an alcoholic when I walked in the room. 
I don't know how, how many of you, I used to call myself, I just got a little problem with alcohol. I'm just a problem drinker. People used to laugh, but they said, keep coming back, you'll get it. And I did, and I got it. So some of these duly addicted people or cross-addicted or whatever, I agree with Jamie's point so strongly, you know. That there's no, there's no reason to come to an AA meeting and say, you know, I'm a duly addicted something or other. An AA meeting is for alcoholics. Either you are or you're not. If it's a closed meeting. It's sort of a violation to me of that spiritual anonymity that uh, Joanne was talking about yesterday to, to bring in all these other things, you know. You know, hi, Des, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a duly addicted. And I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a member of GA. And I'm a member of, uh, and I have an MBA. And I have an MA. And I got this and I got that. What the, so what? So what? Who cares? This is a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, knowing that, we also give people freedom, like we just talked about here, to do whatever they want, so long as they focus on what's important, alcoholism. Because that spiritual principle of anonymity, I truly believe, is the key to carrying the message to the world. That is the key. It permeates all those concepts in so many different ways. Everything is flattened, you know? It's one voice, one vote. Trustee doesn't matter. Director doesn't matter. Delegate doesn't matter. Staff person doesn't matter. The deal is, one vote, you're there. I don't care if you're a trustee. It doesn't make any difference. We're all equal. We're all drunks. Listen to this. And this is a quote. We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are actually to practice a genuine humility to this end, that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him, her, who presides over us all. And that's, of course, as you know, the long form of Tradition number 12. Finally, carrying this thought just a step farther, if I can find the page I'm on. Now, in the best of the grapevine, uh, it's an article reprinted from 1955. Uh, a good friend of AA, Dr. Harry Tebolt, speaks about the meaning of anonymity. And this is what he says. And this is a quote. Its practice results in the preservation of a reduced ego. And second, the continued presence of humility or humbleness. You know, Bill himself tells us that his ego took a hell of a licking in the, in the recovery process. I can support that. My ego t took and takes a hell of a licking in the recovery process. Um, but it's of such consummate importance to our fellowship that it was the subject of Bill's last message to us. We are challenged to practice this principle in all our affairs. T. Bull goes on to say, The self as nothing is not easily developed. It runs counter to all our desires for identity, for an apparently meaningful existence, 
one with hope and promise. To be nothing seems a form of psychological suicide. We cling to our somethingness with all the strength at our command. The thought of being nothing is simply not acceptable. But the fact that the person who does not learn to be nothing cannot feel that he or she is a plain, ordinary, everyday kind of person who merges with the human race and as such is humble, lost in the crowd, and essentially anonymous. When that can happen, the individual has a lot going for him or her. People with nothing on their minds can relax and go about their business quietly with a minimum of fuss and bother. They can even enjoy life as it comes along. They can participate in a crazy session on the concepts which they don't know a damn thing about. In AA, in AA, this is called, and this is the continuation of the quote, the 24-hour program. The final picture I want to leave you with is this. There's a Zen Buddhist concept this, which describes man's condition. It's a circle symbolizing man as nothingness, encompassed in a square, limitations. Man as nothingness, as nothingness with limitations. Now, if you add to that square with the circle inside of it, our triangle for unity, service, and recovery, that's the picture I want you to think about for the next few minutes. So paradoxically, from that posture, everything is possible for all the reasons we just talked about. It's the principle of the fulcrum at work. The smaller the wedge of the fulcrum in relation to the lever, the greater the lifting power. Archimedes said, give me a place to stand and I will move the world. The closer we as individuals get to the nothingness of anonymity, the freer and more joyful is life. The closer our fellowship gets to the principle of anonymity, the more unified we are in recovery and service, and the more limitless are the boundaries for carrying the message. If you're nothing, you've got nothing to lose by being sober, and simply by being sober. From this posture, we can surely ride the winds of change and let them fill our sails. And see, the cup is not half empty, the cup is half Instead of moaning and groaning about all these things that are coming into AA and these outside influences, we say, what an incredible structure that can stand up and withstand and grow and prosper with all these contrary influences coming into us. No longer will change cause us consternation. It will cause anticipation. Fear will not be called fear anymore. It will be transferred and called excitement. Importantly, we won't forget the fire of recovery. That's our message. I have to close the meeting today with amazing grace. Please, please join in. Amazing grace. How 
That where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort 
than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. And we thank you all for being here and the presenters. And I'd like to say more, but I can't. i got a tough time just being here. Thanks. <laughs>